It's time for building the game. Building the game. With Jason and friends. From tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday september 7th and you're listening to episode 484 as always i am your host jason here today joined once again by one of our mentee hosts i've got kiri bear calling in from australia how's it going kiri pretty great jason spring is in the air down here it's a good feeling yes uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very excited to, uh, it's very excited to have you back on. It's been, it's been a while, pretty much the summer <laughs> since, uh, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a busy summer for everyone. You all are, uh, uh, back in lockdown much as we are not, but COVID cases on the rise, lots of not fun stuff happening there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as we were just discussing, Board games is making it fun for us. It does, right? Um, no. So uh, tell everybody about uh, the idea you've got with your son. I love this uh, for what you're doing for holidays since you can't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've made a deal with my son that we're going to get a new board game. We're going to like research it and, and you know, get really excited and hyped about it. We're only we're going to, you know, have it delivered to the house and we'll only open it on the school holidays. Um, and we'll have plenty of time to just sit around and play it for days. Awesome. That's awesome. Yes. And you, uh, we were talking a little beforehand, you are doing a lot of research trying to figure out like exactly what to get in. And I love that because there's, there's nothing worse than like making all these plans. And then you get the game and you're like, this is not what we want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It better be return, return. <laughs> <laughs> My um, 11 year old is like hanging by a thread. We're all hanging by a thread in this right, lockdown right, right, situation. Right. It better be a good game. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, it's, it's smart to do your research. Cause just running out and being like, this looks all right. Let's check this out. Yeah. Not the way to do it right now. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. But board games have been amazing because like, yeah, I remember when, when this latest lockdown was announced, I was, you know, I felt quite sad for quite a few days about that. Yeah. And I was just like, I need a dopamine hit, you know, let's play Harry Potter battle at Hogwarts and like give ourselves, you know, stacked decks with excellent cards, play it on the hardest level and just blitz it. And um, yeah, it was very satisfying two hours. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. 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 There's something to be said for stacking decks and things like that. Just making it more fun. Yeah. Something to be said for that for sure. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it's, um, like I said, it's been, it's been some months and, uh, I'm excited to kind of get back into the swing of things as fall hits. Uh, or do you guys, do you have, um, in-person school there or I guess not right now, right? Because of not lockdown. Right now it's, yeah, it's remote schooling right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we did remote schooling all last year and now we're actually back to physical school. So, um, yeah, but, uh, obviously the kids, at least the kids our age, Owen, oh, yeah. Uh, your son is just, just under the cutoff to be able to get vaccinated. So yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, that's supposed to open up soon. Theoretically, theoretically. So actually, how does that work there? I just, this is a little side tangent, but I'm just curious about that because obviously our FDA doing emergency approval probably doesn't mean anything in Australia. So how does that, or does it like, do you all, Oh, okay. They approved it. We'll do it. Like how, how does that work? 
think we have our own processes, but I'm not actually sure. I Interesting. I probably know about that. I'm, <laughs> I've had my vaccination. I'm like, I'm, I'm cool. Right, I'm right, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, we got ours a long time ago as well. And I'm just like, just waiting for the day when they say five through 11. <laughs> And then that will cover my seven and nine year old. And then, mm. yes, they, uh, yeah, they have, they have a mask mandate so that they're all wearing masks at school, even though they're in person. Um, and though it sounds like mostly my kids are way more serious about it than other kids. Uh, so, mm. which doesn't surprise me because like we've explained to the kids like, Hey, this is why this is important and they don't want to get sick. So, you know, mm. they're, they're doing the thing they're supposed to be doing. And, uh, mm. but they're like some of the other kids like, they don't wear their masks over their nose and they get super upset about it. It's like, that's why we bought you. Like we we were able to get some can 95s for them so they can actually have some like good masks that are really good at protecting. Um, yeah. yeah. Just cause it gives you a little more peace of mind when you're sending them uh, to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, speaking of board games, I am getting a lot done now. Cause I, I work out of my, uh, out of I have my office at home that I work out of. And, uh, I haven't done Jack in the last year and a half. It feels like trying to keep up with stuff uh, with them being here all the time. And uh, there was, you know, a little nervousness about them going back for the first time in a year and a half. And how's that even going to go? And it's went smashingly. So it means I've actually been able to come home and do stuff. It's really (laughs) weird. So, yeah. Who'd have thought? Like having kids around actually takes up a lot of time. It does, especially when you're essentially homeschooling them. I mean, it's virtual school, but it feels a lot like homeschool. Uh, so, so yeah, it's it's been a good uh, it's been a good week here of being able to really catch up on some board game stuff, some actually other stuff with my other my coaching job, and um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm working on some self publishing stuff that we're uh, myself and another person are working really hard on. We we track down what we think is our artist this week. So we're super stoked about that. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to announce more of that soon. Um, but yeah, yeah. So it's uh, and some of these games are along the lines of what we're going to talk about here, which are um, they are games. Uh, ours, our games are specifically games designed that RPG players would enjoy them uh, focused on new RPGers being able to sit down and play them uh, because I also want to be able to turn around and use those for coaching and for team building and things in in different offices and such. Um, and so that's a big consideration when it comes to that, of how that's going to work. Uh, but that kind of brings us towards our topic. Um, it yeah, it did. I didn't even mean it. I, I would love to pretend to the listeners that I did that on purpose, but it was about halfway through and I was like, oh, hey, I'm going to talk about this and it's going to just map straight into the topic. So, <laughs> so sweet. So sweet. Um, so yeah, Green Hollow. Green Hollow is in open beta on online so people can um, – Go and play that on Story Synth via the Amble Studio website. Um, and yeah, because last time I was here, I was talking to Alex Roberts about this game, yep. and now it's like, yep. yeah, it's there. It's it's a thing. It's online. People can play it. We've been looking at producing a physical copy, particularly because we've got some big game conventions coming up here. But now that mm-hmm. everything is cancelled, thank right, you, right. COVID. Um, we're just going to stick with the digital platform for now because it just gives us such um, mobility and flexibility around changing things and updating things and adjusting things. And the other exciting thing that's happening is that Amble Studio has a client who is um, paying us to adapt Green Hollow for their 
um, their target audience, which in this case is folks who are seeking jobs. Oh, that's um, fantastic. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. And it's making such a difference. Like, actually, it's interesting because we, we play tested Green Hollow a lot. But then mm-hmm. actually having a really specific audience in mind is just oh, yeah. like making us like really, you know, hone it down um, to work for that specific group. And it just, yeah. I think I didn't realize how important it is to really think about your audience and get specific about your audience. Like people always mm-hmm. say that, but then it's <laughs> like, yeah, but you know, anyone could play it and I don't want to lock anyone out. And it's like, now that we've got this really specific audience, it's like, oh yeah, we don't need that. We don't need that. There's going to, the way that the game will be delivered, will there'll be a facilitator in the room. So one of the things we've been doing is like currently Green Hollow, um, you know, it's for people who haven't played role-playing games before. So it's mm-hmm. got that quite a lengthy kind of startup deck of like explaining how to play the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah, but then when we're working with this specific client, because there'll be a facilitator who's using this as a training tool, um, we don't need to do all of that instruction. And also the the target group, like these job seekers are folks who maybe have mental health issues or have a disability of some kind. Um, so there's, there's quite a broad range of literacy levels that we have to um, address and, and different, you know, uh, ways of thinking and being, um, you know, people who maybe have a autism diagnosis or, or things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so really simplifying and carving out like, you know, the the green hollow version is designed to be played, you know, by people who um, don't have anything else to go on. They're just using the card. So like the deck kind of really stands alone. But then this other version for the client, it's like there's a facilitator in the room. So we're kind of going in the opposite direction, like, really minimalist taking out all the stuff about rules just really giving them very basic you know i think we've got some things about the pause card in there and apart from that it's like much more immersive and much more story-based and Mm -hmm. that experience is also making us kind of look back at green hollow and be like oh maybe we (laughs) could make that more immersive and you know maybe we want to shift that around now because this is actually much more engaging and that's that's a really good point. The the hyper specificness of it really does make that immersion easier. Um, you know, when you have when you have to plan for every eventuality, it makes it hard to um, to make something as immersive. I mean, you can do it, but it's it's yeah, it's it's a lot to try and figure that out. And I think that having that specificity, oh yeah, the, what a great way to um, to be able to kind of hone the game in, especially while it's still in beta and you can still theoretically change whatever you want to uh, back to the original. I, I do want to pause for a moment though, because I, I, I it occurred to me that because it's been so long, um, people may not remember. So this originally, um, Alex Roberts designed this game called For the Queen, um, which, and then a lot of people wanted to make games like that. So they actually had, became up with this idea of a descended from the queen game where it was like, you make this game, you follow these these rules-ish, and you go from there. And so y'all made a game that originally was titled For the Awesome, correct? Yeah. Um, yep. And then in the Green Hollow was the setting that you were putting it in, which was like a kind of like a medieval village. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Bronze Age Village, yeah. Bronze Age Village, village. okay. Yeah. So we're from America. Our 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 uh, history is not that great. So like 
we know like colonial and like pre-colonial it's pre-colonial this is pre-colonial <laughs> pre kind of hierarchy right. and kings and queens and stuff yes. and that's yeah it's a whole other kind of side thing there but like one of the things that we discovered as we we're designing for this very specific audience who and we're doing some co-design sessions with them so they're right in the room with us you know oh nice throwing around ideas which is fabulous process um but we're learning how many assumptions that we have coming in you know like we're a self-managing team and we kind of you know inadvertently designed green green hollow is a game for self-managing teams so you know we designed a game for people like us who care about the things that we care about so it's pre-colonial there's no rulers or masters and it's like about you know a group of people trying to do a project together in their village right 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 um but then yeah suddenly we're working with job seekers and you know most people who are just like trying to get work aren't looking to go straight into a self-managing team you know like they're going right, to have a manager. Right. So we, yeah, we really had to kind of shift things and be like, all right, we need a boss because that's, that's a reality of something they're going to face. That's a right. skill that they need to build. That's interesting. That's interesting. And um, yeah, can you give a little, like um, a little summary of how Green Hollow works with like the project? Like, you know, you're, you're doing a project, but like, um just again, because I want to make sure the audience, you know, being that it was so long, um, yeah. can can yeah. keep up. So in the intro to the game, um, you know, you're introduced to the the village of Green Hollow. Um, you know, people wear woven clothes and they build houses and things, uh, and they can work with metal and pottery. Um, so that's the kind of level of the setting. And then, um, yeah, there's no rulers or masters over you. Um, players then pick, like, one of three projects. Um, or they can choose their own project, of course, because role-playing games. But um, Right, right, right. But, you know, we put some furniture there for people who aren't familiar with that. So they can choose to, like, you know, our project's about discovering a new building material or our project is about... Um, coming up with a spring celebration for the village. Um, and so they pick a project, then they pick each player picks a character. Um, so they can be Birch the Elder or Rowan the Visionary. Um, all the characters have plant names mm-hmm. in that version. Um, and and they also pick an adjective for that for their character. So, you know, Rowan the the visionary can be outspoken or charismatic uh, and Birch the elder can be uh, sweet or sleepy or um, or grumpy (laughs) Um, and and then yeah so they go through that process and then um, they start getting question prompts like you know um, it's the first it's your uh, it's you need to gather the crew for your first meeting. How do you talk to them? How do you communicate with them? Um, and so they start going through that process of by answering the questions, like telling the story about this project that they're doing together. Um, mm-hmm. And along the way, they might get a question about like, how do you relate to the village of Burdock that's just down the road? And well, the villages of Burdock said something that made you not want to work with them. You know, what was it? And how did you respond to that? Um, and a lot of the questions are very much drawing out the kind of the interpersonal dynamics that come up when people work mm-hmm. in teams together. Um, 
So they, you know, at the end, they've kind of told a story about working on this project uh, and all, you know, how they dealt with failure and challenges and, you know, relationships and competing priorities. Um, yeah, and then there's some reflection questions about, you know, what did you learn from this experience and what did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about each other? Um, really honing in on, I mean, the power of the experience is that this notion of indirection. It's like you're being someone else. I'm not myself. So I can take some mm -hmm. risks. I can say some silly things because I'm not me. Mm -hmm. But inevitably, right. when you're role playing, you end up drawing on your own experience. And so you kind right, of right. like meet yourself from a different direction. Yep. I think especially you do that, like if you're not used to role playing, you're mm -hmm. even more going to do that because you're not thinking about creating a character, right? You're thinking about just doing this thing. And so even if you're being Birch the Elder, for instance, you know, if I'm Jason and I'm not a, a role player, right, I'm going to draw a lot on my own experience because that's what I have to go on, you know? Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think that is a, I, I love, I love the sneaky ways of getting people to, to self-reflect uh, and, and think about those sort of things and, you know, to, to just have a different kind of conversation, right? And, and maybe answer questions that, they wouldn't answer otherwise, right? But they're answering them because it's part of the game. So, you know, they having a character, uh, again, might be more comfortable with answering those than they would be if it was, you know, like re just regular old real life, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And the feedback that we've had is it's, it's quite fun. People enjoy it. <laughs> Some people, um, yeah, discover that they're a lot more concrete than, than they thought. Um, but there is always that option to just like fall back on your own experience and you know, we keep mm -hmm. the bar very low around um, what we expect from people in that. Um, yeah, I, I think getting people in those conversations can be tricky, right? To like have the conversation where um, where they feel like they're not themselves, but, you know, they're also like, I think it's really hard when you ask someone, have this converse when you say have a conversation not as yourself but like your quote role playing so basically it's like kiri and i we're going to talk about this but we're not gonna we're just gonna like talk about like a real life situation that's different and when they ask you to like somebody would say like in a coaching scenario like let's role play this right how would this mm -hmm. conversation go that can be really daunting and that can mm -hmm. make people really nervous i think that could even make some role players nervous because Again, then there's like, it's a real world situation. It's how are you reacting to this? But when you, when you just take that one step and put them in a fictitious place, even if they're doing real world things, it really allows people to drop their guard. Right. Yeah. And, you know, um, and kind of just go with that flow. Um, and that, you know, so many people would love to do that, but have trouble doing that. I think again, in real life. And when you give them this other place to do that with, they can do it, you know, and, yeah. uh, and it cannot be weird. Yeah. That's the magic of it really. It really um, is. Yeah. And, um, I think I mentioned last time, like where, like the whole kind of concept of Amble Studio and wanting to make games like this came out of, um, yeah, my colleague Haley Cooper Ryder, having worked in a consultancy that specialized in collaboration and building collaboration capacity and creating opportunities for collaboration um, with government and with corporate sector or other workplaces. Um, and her then being a dungeon master, 
and realizing like everything that I'm trying to teach people <laughs> is here in this. And there's this incredible, um, you know, group of people out there, incredibly skilled group of people out there yep. um, who have what workplaces need to be able to collaborate better and be able to do good collaboration. Right. It's just those workplaces have spent the last 20 years making fun of those people because they play nerdy games. Uh, it turns out, ha ha ha, <laughs> joke's on you. We yeah. have the keys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So what, um, what, what do you think, what were the, the, the biggest kind of roadblocks in your way that you had to work through over the last several months getting this to beta? Um, you know, what, with the game was, was the, what would you, what would you say is the most challenging aspects you had to, you had to fight through? Um, yeah, play testing and taking feedback and, um, and iterating, um, yeah. And getting the, I don't know, all the little niggly bits, yes, all the, all the yes. little bits around the edges, the, um, uh-huh. Yeah, the finessing and the graphics and like uh, the platforms not working quite properly and, um, you know, noticing in playtest particularly like the the transition from the kind of the more instructional cards into the prompts, into the, the play itself, like getting that transition right, it just it felt quite bumpy for quite a long mm-hmm. time. Um, and I'm still not sure that we're, we're there um, with that particular aspect, I think, um, yeah, this work that we've been doing with the um, with the agency has um, inspired us to, yeah, really redesign things and play with things um, and get mobile again. I think one of the challenges actually is like, like in the the rush to kind of get to beta, it's like you're kind of making decisions and closing things down, and then it kind of comes to this like okay this is the game um and it gets kind of static um Mm -hmm. and then i think in i i get that that's necessary like you've actually got to kind of converge at some point you've got to make a call like this is the game this is what we're putting out in the world right right but, but then this experience of working with with the client working with a new audience shifting things around like it's been really liberating in a way yeah. to go back into the design process to open things up and be like, well, actually it could be completely different and um, really challenging our assumptions about, or, or just becoming aware of the assumptions that we had mm-hmm. when we, you know, put this version of green hollow um, out there. Uh, and so, yeah, it's not happening yet, but, I, I imagine once we're done with this client work, we'll go back to Green Hollow with all of the kind of the openness and dynamism of that process um, and do another kind of overhaul of it. Well, and that's the beauty of doing it the digital format, right? Is that you can continue to overhaul it without massive cost because you're not having to go back and reprint things. You know, I mean, it's, you don't have to go to clients and, you know, sneakily steal their, uh, their, uh, games, mission impossible style and try and replace them with updated cards. Right. Oh no. Um, yeah, it does. Right. Um, so it, a couple things that popped up that I want to comment on. Um, one is, so some of the games that I'm working on, I, I found the same thing where like, you know, you're saying like, 
we got this version of the game. And at some point you have to say like, this is, this is the game. Like this is the game. Uh, but you have all these other ideas along with the game. And, and like, what do you do with those? And I know for us, uh, with the game that, that we're working on, um, we found that there was a point where we had to say, like, this is what the game is going to do. Everything else is going to be something different. And what we we lucked out is that a lot of our stuff was like, well, this is the game, but with this small twist. And we're able to say, OK, well, now we can turn that into this game. But there's here's the specific scenario, which is kind of what you ended up doing with Green Hollow is you get a client. Uh, and then you end up taking that with the client and making this specific version for a client. Uh, also, you said for the client, uh, which made me want to laugh because I was like, this is the for the client version of for the awesome of for the queen. Um, <laughs> it was like for the client. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so so anyways, like I, I I agree with that, like that has been something that we've struggled with of like, at what point do we say, yes, this is the version that we want to move forward with. And that all these extraneous bits are going to be different versions of the game that will be released separately, like as standalone things. Um, and I think that's a tough decision point, right? Where you want to say like, you work on something long enough that it, it's hard to stop and say, okay, like we're going to put this out now and see what happens. Um, you know, um, because I think there's, the danger of just trying to be a perfectionist about it. Right. And just continually going through. Cause there's a point where you want to keep developing, but there's a point where you have to figure out like, did we do it? Are we, are we there now? Can we stop? Yeah. So you have to converge. You have to at some point be like, this is the game. But what I'm really noticing at the moment, like, like I said, with the specificity of working for this particular client and this very particular target group, um, there's a kind of irony that that's really opened up our creativity and reshaped what we're offering. And I think we'll actually improve the game as it, as it was. There's something about working with a, with an audience that's quite different from ourselves that really makes us challenge our own assumptions and get past Mm -hmm. our own assumptions. Mm -hmm. So there's something here for me about, yeah, as a game designer, how do you, how do you make sure that you do that, that you get past your own assumptions? Because inevitably when you're like trying to converge and be like, this is the game in the absence of other information, you're going to make the game that you want to play, which is not necessarily the game that's going to be like the best for everyone. Right. How would you respond to that? Yeah. I I don't know. (laughs) It's tough. (laughs) It's like, um, because I, you know, um, it's a bit universal, isn't it? How do we get past our own assumptions in the world? So, but I mean, we like, yeah, I mean, like we have to, we do have to find a way to get past our own assumptions, but it's just really hard to like chunk that down into like, like, or just kind of boil that down into like a, like, this is how we do it. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, I think when it comes to, I mean, I think seeking others perspectives will always help that. Right. Because mm-hmm. Generally, like, I think if we have, uh, if we have very specific assumptions, like that we can't seem to get past, um, hearing someone else's perspective that contradicts that, right. Will help us. Uh, but when it comes to like the game side of things, you know, that like that really is, is really just trying to listen to the needs of, of the people you're working with. Right. I mean, Mm. like. I, I know that's an issue that we've run into with, with our game where like, um, 
Hannah, my co-designer is very focused on like, she's an RPG designer through and through. Right. And, um, and I'm, I'm not like an RPG design is newer to me. I love it, but it's newer to me. And like, and then we're dealing with making something that's not what you're doing. We're not trying to make highly specific pieces for clients. We're trying to put out a game that is facilitatorless, first of all, uh, mm-hmm. which is already, I mean, I'm sure you know from working through Green Hollow that if you were to say suddenly no facilitator allowed, that game would be much harder to to like make work. It would require more mm-hmm. explanation, right? And, um, and you already said there's a lot of front loading trying to get it ready. Um, so... So yeah, I, I just think that um like trying to um like I kind of lost my train of thought on that. I'm not gonna lie, I kind of meandered in there, but but I, I do think that like so oh I know with the challenging of expectations, right? Or, or like getting past your own assumptions, right? Like um, you know, she's used to designing for RPG people, right? I'm used to designing for board game people, um, but neither one of those are super relevant to the idea of designing a game that like people at a company might want to play, right? Because they may be neither, right? But we still want to be able to say, here's a fun experience that you're going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is um, and that is tough to do that. Um, and then we're also trying to work from the angle of, but we still want gamers to be able to buy this. We want RPGers to buy this game and even some board gamers to buy this game and to play it, right? Because they're going to help fund the ability to continue to push this off to companies and things like that. Uh, because the companies aren't just going to come knocking, right? Like um, if you have to print a thousand copies of a board game, you know, getting that first client isn't going to likely help you do that, right? It'll help you hone the game, but it's not going to help you do that. And you would have had the same issue if you, if you were already having to go to print, right? Hmm. Um, But then again, you're also working with a good advantage, which is being able to say, we're making a version for this client, but that won't, that doesn't have to change our original version. Hmm. Um, but you get that awesome added benefit that it can, right? And I think that's mm. great. Um, I'm so excited about that for you that you can take that, what you get from the client for their version and then say, how do we make the original version tighter and better, right? Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, getting past your own assumptions uh, is tough. It's always going to be tough because even when you, I think, I think like it is tough to answer. I, I think the only other piece of advice I'd have on that is, you have to be on your guard about it all the time to say, mm. am I just assuming this? Is this my, am I, am I just like, am I falling back on my thoughts and not like engaging the world? I mean, it's really asking yourself like, like you saying like, am I being prejudiced right now? Right? Mm. Like, am I being prejudiced about this thing? And I'm not necessarily talking about, about a person or a, or a type of people or whatever. Like I'm saying like in this situation, am I prejudging what's happening here? Am I making mm. assumptions? Um, and then asking yourself, how do I, uh, not do that? Right. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And I guess it's play testing and really like observing the play tests closely and Mm -hmm. really trying Mm -hmm. to understand other people's experience of play tests and yeah. yeah. That, yes, that is really, that's a really good example. Um, of being able to do that because when we bring a game, we 100% have, uh, have a belief of how it is and we make assumptions about that. Um, and when we see people reacting differently, especially if you see multiple people, right? Sometimes you'll see one person who sees something differently and you kind of have to weigh like, did they see it differently? Or like, do they just like, 
like was that impactful or was that they just kind of have a different perspective right like mm-hmm. no i'm not i'm not negating that perspective at all i'm just saying that sometimes you can show a game to 50 people and 49 of them will get it and one person won't and you have to ask yourself like do i make big sweeping changes so that the 50th person gets it at the at the risk of the 49 not right mm-hmm. um because some people have different capacities for different types of games. Uh, yeah. Some people have interest in different types of games, right? And to where, like, mm-hmm. you couldn't make it work for them. Um, yeah, but this I don't is know if that's challenge. relevant or not. <laughs> this is the challenge, though, of trying to craft games for workplaces. Because mm-hmm. there's a sense in which you have to design for that captive audience. They're not, right, like, right. going to buy the game off the shelf. It's being introduced to them in a professional context in a you know and they don't they don't have that buy-in necessarily they might not be board game people they might hate games they literally might hate games um i mean i think you can probably attest to this having worked in consulting and coaching with people too right like there are a lot of people who've never played a fun game in their life right Mm. like and when you tell them like we're going to do a game or this you know like fun activity all they can remember is all the awful ones they've ever had to do in a work environment. Mm -hmm. And that immediately makes them not want to do it. Like, what are we going to do some trust falls? You know, like it's not Mm -hmm. like, you know? Um, And so I think that, um, I think that that does make it more difficult. One of the things we're trying to do in our game is like, we're talking about like playing yourself or playing a different character or just trying to take it outside of yourself. So one of the things we've done that, that we think is going to help with this, we think, um, so far we've only talked about it with other gamers, <laughs> so we'll see. Um, but what we think it will do is, um, in the game, you're mostly just you asking questions of another person. Uh, but what happens throughout the game is people take on roles. And when you take on the role of a character, that's when people ask you questions. So you're, you asking questions, you're someone else answering questions. Um, because we kind of rationalize that. Asking questions is easy, especially if you give somebody a list and say, ask questions like this. And if you're not sure, literally ask some of these questions, right? Um, And that is very low entry, right? Like just, I'm just going to ask questions of this person. And the person doing the work at that point really is the person who's taken on this character, which they're prompted to. It's not like they have to just make it up. Um, It's not like they have to feel like they have to draw on their own experiences. Like we said earlier, if you're new to it, you almost undoubtedly will. Um, so, so yeah, that was, that was kind of like our solve for that. Mm -hmm. Um, because we, we rationalize this, that in the gamer world, RPGers love, love, love to take these silly character startups or these little funny, like character ideas Mm -hmm. and turn them into something fun to play. Um, but a person who's never played an RPG will think, oh, it's just a silly character. Okay. I can pretend to be this person. No big deal. Right. Um, so that was, that's kind of our gambit there, right? Like, I, don't know, I don't know if it's yeah, going to yeah. work, but, um, you know, it feels relevant to what you're talking about with all of that. So I think there's a solid thing, though, that we discovered that like as because we're all pretty, um, yeah, pretty seasoned, hardcore, passionate role players ourselves. Right. Right. Um, that we have a much higher tolerance. Um, than the general population for just making stuff up on the fly. 
and yes. enjoying yes. that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, yeah, through the testing process, what we discovered is like we need lots of play equipment. That's that's how we talk about it now. More play equipment. So like giving people a really clear yep. setting and really clear um, like characters and very clear kind of direction about things uh, makes them feel safer and more able to take like little flights of fancy because they're mm-hmm. not – you know, someone who's sitting down to play something like this for the first time is not going to, you know, dive straight into like, let's make up our own project and let's like, you know. Right, right. Yeah. All that kind yeah, of that's, that's a really good point too, because we, my initial thought was like, oh, we'll, we'll just give people a name and they just play that character. They'll be fine. Um, and my co-designer was like, I don't know that they will. So then our next solution was like, okay, let's, let's show them how to make a character. So then we're like, we're going to give them all this information. They can make a character. And then it was like, or, or we could provide them with a character prompt mm. with some information and they could literally just use that, uh, but give them some options, right? Like, is this mm. person going to be, this? it's actually funny because one of the things we talked about doing is the same type of thing you did where this is this character could be sleepy or grumpy or happy or one of the other seven dwarves, right? Like something like, that. <laughs> like they could be any of these things. Um, Except for ours was like, they can be like this or like this, whatever, whatever you feel. Right. Or maybe you do both. Right. Maybe you go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so that like we thought that that would give not only an RPG or the chance to say, hey, I have choices and I like that. But a mm-hmm. non RPG to say, "Ooh, I'm not I'm not really sure how to play bitter. Um, mm-hmm. But quirky, I could do that. Like I could do quirky. I'll just do quirky. You know, so that way it kind of gives them the option. Um, When you were doing, I'm curious, when you were doing that idea of these different character, like personality type uh, traits, what, what was your idea around that? Like, what was, what goal were you trying to solve with that? Yeah, I think it's a, well, I think I have a, perhaps it's an intuition. I don't know if it's true, but that if people can make choices that they're going to have more ownership over it. That's good. Yeah. Um, but that said, like, so the green hollow version has some of those light choices to make the client version is, um, like there's six characters. They can choose the character, Mm -hmm. um, but they don't get any other options. So there's a character name and then there's like two sentences that describe that character and the things like, um, you know, uh, like one's obviously a young person. I think it's, you know, we've called them possum. Possum is, you know, um, just you know, just come of age and doesn't know what they like to do and is clean, keen to be of service in the village. But, you know, so they're kind of based loosely on different kind of job seeker, different things that drive, you know, there's, there's another character yeah, who yeah. has been a hunter, but now the village is herding sheep. So they don't, you know, the hunters oh, that's don't need good. it anymore. Yeah. That's really good. Yes, I love that. So there's these personas and I actually suspect that like honing in on a persona like that is going to be more accessible even though and I think it's my it's my role player brain that's like I want to give people lots of choices because that's one of the things that I find fun is like being able to make mm-hmm. it mine and make my own choices, but I suspect that actually 
someone who's never played an RPG before will feel a lot more comfortable with like, oh, here is the person and here's a little story right. about them. So I know, I know who they are. And right. you know, I can pick one of the little stories that I can sort of relate to and that's going to make it mm-hmm. easier for me. But um, yeah. That mm-hmm. is really sneaky though. Um, that is really sneaky um, that you're doing like, oh, this person just came of age. They're looking to help. Like they're looking for their first job or this mm-hmm. person had a good job and now that job doesn't exist anymore. So they need to do this new job. That's fantastic. Like that is... Um, for those job seekers, like that is just, yeah. I mean, like you could even have the facilitator reading these people's resumes ahead of time and knowing which one might fit them best. Right. Um, you know, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really good. And I'm going to make an assumption here that the reason you went with the quirky names and stuff, because you're probably avoiding gender. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 We we have a solution for that as well. I'm not going to talk about it just because I want to talk about it when Hannah's on. But we have a not we have a not completely dissimilar way of handling gender where yeah. we 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 handle it by not handling it for the most part by just making it yeah. a, a choose your own adventure thing basically. Yeah. Um, when it comes to that, because we wanted, yeah, we wanted it to make sense for people. Um, and to not have. I think that you can run into issues. Um. There, there are some primary issues, like even like if I think to, you know, 20 years ago when role playing, like, like with my friends, like playing Dungeons and Dragons, some people were 100% like cool with playing male or female, right? Mm. Others uh, were only ever going to play their own gender. Some only ever played a different gender, right? Because that's, they enjoyed that. Um, and, and, you know, some people uh, want to just feel represented, right? So they want to be able to be non-binary or you know however they identify and so i think you know it's 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 great for me to see someone else doing the same thing and being like yeah okay so good 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 that's that makes me feel really good that you're doing something uh somewhat like what we're doing um in trying to make that more because i I think it just makes it more accessible um and uh it doesn't force anyone into being playing something they're not comfortable with yeah. Which is important, you know? Yeah. And we had some nice feedback about that. There is a, um, yeah, there's a, a queer non-binary Twitch um, streamer uh, mm-hmm. in the US who um, play tested Green Hollow with some friends and they loved it. They were just like, oh, this is great. so great. They're all tree names. We feel so seen and safe in this space. And um, that's great. That yeah. is great. Yeah. But yeah, my background is in like gender equity, working with organizations around gender equity. Mm-hmm. So I have, I'm, I'm particularly sensitive. Yes. I would expect that. nothing less from you then. You <laughs> would be, have a particular eye for making sure that that was handled correctly. That's great. But it's also um, exciting. Like when you, when you get out of that binary, there's all these other possibilities mm-hmm. open up. Mm-hmm. Well, not to mention that like, when you think about it, like I could play this character named Possum or birch or whatever, um, and literally never even talk about what gender I am. Mm. And it doesn't actually matter. Mm. It has no impact on the story if I don't want it to. It's almost like that could be real life. Oh my gosh. Mind flowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but no, I think that's really I think that's really important. Um, you know, and I don't know about you, but saving us some money on character art too. Um, because <laughs> because 
no reason to draw all the characters if you're not going to assign, uh, you know, a gender or any other sort of identity to them uh, because, yeah, because you want to have it be, you know, kind of like a um, a clean slate for the people, mm-hmm. right? Like, w- at least on that. I mean, obviously, I want it you know, completely packed with cool, fun ideas and prompts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on that specific thing, when it comes to dealing with anything like gender identity or race or uh, you know a- anything like that like let's just go ahead and make it be whatever you want it to be mm. so mm. and not force anyone to be stuck into again something they're not comfortable with I th- it's like mm. it was like one of the easiest things to do right i mean and and you all with the way you did it i'm sure it wasn't like super difficult to make that work mm. you just made a choice and you did it you know so yeah yeah that's where that's at um um that's fantastic though i i I love hearing how it's going what so what are the what are the next plans then like after beta um are you so you're feeling like you'll go back after this client and probably and then also obviously it's in beta you're going to get a bunch of feedback from other people trying it and then you're going to try and take it and then from there we're at the level where release we're kind of curating play tests still Mm -hmm. or like curating play sessions with people. Um, so we're not, I'm not sure that we're actually getting people who are just jumping on and playing it without our involvement. Um, right. Right. And Which is actually better because you're actually getting feedback. You know, like if I, if, if my friends and I jump on and play it and don't ever give you feedback, whether we loved it or hated it, you have no idea. We might've thought it was great, but just didn't feel like telling you that. So or we might have had really good ideas on things that we saw that, that didn't work. And here's some stuff you might want to try, right? I mean, so, yeah, yeah I think that I think that's the right call. Mm. So the focus at the moment is really on that client work. And then we'll circle yeah, back to Green Hollow um, right. and do another iteration of that. There's still a hope that we will go to print at some point and like, mm-hmm. develop physical copies and put that out in the world. Um yeah, even that, like we started that process, we made a kind of print and play version um, for ourselves and, and just noticing, for example, that the instruction deck was almost the same size as the, the prompt deck. Um, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's it's not a good look. Maybe we need to rethink how we, um, how we do this. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's, that's certainly always something to think about with, you know, the game size and what it's going to take to print and, and that sort of thing. Um, I'm curious being that there, there are three or four of you at Amble. Is it four? Five altogether. Five now. Okay. Five. So with all of you being involved in this project, do you take turns facilitating play tests? Do you all go? I mean, like, how do you, how do you manage that? I'm just curious from a, from a co-design standpoint. I guess we're all kind of tapping into our own networks. And so we, Mm -hmm. you know, if I, set up a play test you know i facilitate that other people won't necessarily come along to that they just expect me to report back to them with the with the client work yeah we're kind of all in that oh yeah of course um, yep yeah it just depends because we've been running kind of fortly fortnightly co-design sessions with them um and it just depends in the interim like who's available who has other work on you know because we're all juggling other jobs as well Right, um, right, right. Yeah, who who has the space to yeah do the um the next round of iteration? Yeah, 
That's very cool. Yeah, and I would I would absolutely love at some point. I know we've talked about this before, but I would love to. I could probably get a group of, of a few of us together that could play it for you if you wanted to run a session for us. Um, yeah. And then hopefully give you some feedback. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, that would be fantastic. So, and I could get, yeah, I could get a group of people together and then you wouldn't have to worry about trying to get a bunch of people from the States on your time. We just figure it out and then do it. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, Very that cool. Would be cool. That would be cool. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that we're actually planning, um, we've started a little podcast, Amble, awesome. and um, we're planning to devote a whole um, episode to Green Hollow. Um, it'll probably come out next month sometime, I think. Um, cool. But yeah, if folks wanted to hear more about it and like hear more about that design process from different people in the team, um, that would be a good thing to check out. Yeah, where where can they find that at? Um, via, I mean, it's on all of the standard kind of Spotify and iTunes and those kind of places. Uh, but yeah, probably easiest just to go to the Amble.studio um, website. Cool. The address, cool, Amble.studio. Cool. I, I love, I love web addresses like that. At first it would throw me off because I was like, Amble.studio.com. No, no, just Amble.studio. Like now I'm like in love with it because it's like, how great is that? You know, like you can just have it be the words that it is without a bunch of weird stuff afterwards. So that's awesome. Well, that's great. No, I definitely encourage the listeners to check that out and, uh, and I'll give that a check out too. That's great. Um, awesome. Well, this was, this was a super fun discussion. Uh, I think we won't pitch anything tonight because basically there was like a big pitch woven into this about the game. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, listeners, I would love to hear your feedback on this conversation. Um, I know that, um, you know, we love geeking out about this type of stuff. Uh, and so I'm always excited to hear listeners feedback. Uh, more listeners than I expected were like, Oh, you talked about coaching and games and stuff and have like given good feedback about liking that. So, uh, which always makes me happy. It's like two things I love and put them together and people still are excited about it. So, but, um, yeah, thanks again for, for coming back and joining me. Yeah, thank you, and, uh, Jason. And I'm I'm really excited to yeah to continue this conversation about how we can use games to absolutely you know, to take over workplaces to make people more creative and excited about work and yeah better at collaborating with each other. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, the next time we chat too, you should then have some more feedback from working with the client and working further in the beta. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll be able to talk a little more about the project because I think at that point I'll have announced it on the podcast and mm-hmm. be able to actually, Hannah will have come on and we'll have talked it out through. And so we'll be able to talk about a lot more. So I think it'll be yeah, great. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, all right. Well, hey, listeners, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, of course, go to buildinggamepodcast.com. Uh, there you can find our Discord channel. Uh, we've had a lot of people join lately, so let's keep that up. That's fantastic. Uh, you can also email us, of course, at buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com. Hey, if you are a video game developer uh, or an agent for a video game developer and you're looking to have a video game developer interviewed, stop emailing me because it's not that kind of podcast. Uh, I've gotten five of those emails in the last couple of weeks, including one person that said, what would you charge to have this person on? To which I replied $7,000 and then they never replied back. Uh, I was a little bummed because if they had uh, listeners, I would have given you some prizes uh, and we'd had a good time on that episode. Uh, but it didn't pan out, sadly. So anyways, you can also, of course, go to Amble.studio. Check out uh, Kiri and the team's podcast. Uh, you can find us all on Twitter, especially at PodcastBTG, at J.A. Slingland, at Kiri Bear. Um, that's correct, right? 
That's correct. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's been a while, but yes. Uh, and then, of course, you can find us uh, in all the lovely podcasting places. We invite you to come back next week. But until then, good night. Good night. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770 Hotel BGG. Please don't use the email. <laughs>